0: Welcome to Season 2 of Connect to Capital, a podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I am Samar Michaela, co CEO at Scale Investors, and I will be your host. Our vision at Scale Investors is a world where gender does not limit access to capital, and we're on a mission to maximise returns by investing into Australia's best women led startups. We know the transformational power of collaboration, and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education, and deep network to enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors. We believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We are thrilled to play our part in providing entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. And if you're keen to invest and maximise your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realise the significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing ceo
1: at to learn more. And make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a minute. Born in South Africa and living in the Middle East in his formative years instilled a level of risk management and always having a plan B. This alongside sailing and the philosophy of water clarity has translated into Neil's investment style. Neil Stanford is a highly accomplished executive and currently serving as the Executive Director and heading up the Venture Capital team at Breakthrough Victoria, a $2 billion initiative to invest in innovative startups that make a positive impact in Victoria. Neil's impressive career spans across his role as the Head of Private Equity and Venture Capital Host Plus, where he led a remarkable investment team, and over the past decade, has provided backing and support to a greater number of Australian venture managers than any other group in the industry. Notably, Neil played a crucial role in introducing venture investing to Host Plus in 2014, initiating a wave of early stage investments into Superfund portfolios across the country. His visionary approach and unwavering support has been instrumental in driving success of the Female Leaders Fund, a series A&B fund that Scale Investors has partnered with Artesian BC on, with Host Plus serving as one of the cornerstone investors. Neil consistently seeks out untapped opportunities and unconventional strategies. His ability to identify overlooked prospects has been a key to his track record success. I am sure you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did having it.
2: Thanks for joining us today, Neil. Uh, really excited to have you on and hear a little bit about you. And I think the best place that we like all of our guests to start is right at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and your personal background and how you think that's kind of impacted your career and got you to where you are today.
3: Yeah, sure. It is interesting. Your childhood experiences often have some of the biggest impacts in terms of where, how you sort of look at life and how you approach things and I'd certainly say that's the case for me. So I was actually born in South Africa, in Johannesburg. My father was a, a civil engineer. We moved around the world quite a bit. We lived in Iran before the revolution, and there's some, yeah, some interesting sort of experiences there. I was very young at that time, and it's quite interesting. I think living in the Middle East like that, at that very early formative years, does sort of instill a certain level of sort of risk management. You know, I think living in the Middle East, you always had to have a plan B in terms of if you couldn't get to the doctor in the middle of the night, what would you do? Who could you call? Our plan when we were living in Iran was that if we had to get out of the country quickly, we would actually drive to Iraq. Now, at that time, the Middle East was very different to what it is now, but still. And I think it's those sort of things that, I always carry with me in terms of when I'm thinking about investments. It's like, okay, well, this is the plan, but if that doesn't work out, what do we do next? My background's I studied electronic and electrical engineering. So I I bring a very sort of analytical approach to things. And I guess that's sort of just morphed over time in terms of, you know, looking at investments. It's interesting. I've got two grandfathers that have got very different Careers. So one was an artist and the other one was bank manager. And then I'm sort of, I feel like I sit in the middle somewhere as an engineer with kind of both. And I think, again, when it comes to investments, it's a real melding of a lot of different skill sets. And it's that really sort of, you know, on one side, the really analytical side, which obviously, the, you know, the left hand brain thinking, left hand engineering And then you've got the right-hand side that's more creative of like, well, how do you structure this deal? How are we going to put it together? How do we negotiate it with the founders and other investors so that it works for everyone? And you're really trying to constantly bring the two together. And I sort of see the same thing. I do quite a bit of sailing and I've seen a lot of sailors where some sailors can be really good on the technical aspects in terms of putting their boats together and, and yet they just don't have the flair for it and others can be this really sort of intuitive sailors and yet their boats are falling apart and you can't do one without the other. So, look, that's a very sort of broad-ranging kind of background. But
2: I, didn't, I had no idea that you had that, like, those formative years in Iran. That would have been absolutely fascinating and very inc- – it's so incredible when you – I of the same school of thought in terms of your formative years having a quite a big impact on how you kind of manage resilience. And, and I guess for you, like how you plan for plan B, which is so incredibly fascinating. So how old were you then? And then how did you guys make your, how did you and your family make your way to Australia? Like what were the, what were the next kind of steps from there?
3: It's a bit of a long story, but yeah, we actually, um, as my mother's Scottish, we moved to Scotland. I actually started school in Scotland, primary school.
2: Like Edinburgh or whereabouts?
3: Glasgow, so edge of the countryside. During that time, my father was working in Saudi Arabia. It was a challenging time for my parents and, and obviously for a young family, but he would, when he c- would come back from Saudi, he would, you know, obviously going through the airports in the Middle East and, and the like, he got to see lots of new sort of things and... As a kid, you know he'd bring back toys, and so at that time was the early '80s. Rubik's cubes were all the rage, and you know Slinkies and Lego. Uh, Lego space was a key thing at, at that time, and I think that sort of really captured my interest in new things. And God, this is really showing my age, but I remember watching on TV in Scotland. There was a show called The Great Egg Race. This was on the BBC. And it was all about teams had to compete with each other about how to come up with some, there would be a challenge and they had to figure out how they were given certain materials and they, within a time limit, they had to come up with some sort of contraption that would, could transport the egg from A to B without breaking it, but there would be all these obstacles or challenges in the way. And, you know, it was all about ingenuity and kind of using what you had So again, it's that formative sort of eight stages where, and that's what I love about venture of, it's kind of creating value out of nothing, like an idea and not much else, but leveraging what you have to make it into something else.
2: So how did you get involved in venture investing? How did you end up where you are today?
3: Again, I think uh, life is sort of a path of a lot of thin threads and sort of serendipity and, and just chance encounters. So it was actually, I think it, it would have been early 2000s. I was quite sick. I ended up in hospital for a week. Anyway, I came out of that and I was working in IT at the time and I thought, is this what I want to spend the rest of my life doing? <laughs> and the answer was no. <laughs> and so what do you do when you don't know what to do? You end up doing an MBA. So, I ended up doing an MBA, and during that process, I think it really sort of elicited some of those early childhood sort of experiences. And during that process, I became quite interested in private equity and venture capital. And then I really sort of made a decision that wherever I could in terms of assignments and papers, to do them with that sort of angle or perspective on them. Then, out of that, it was just again, it was a chance encounter that. Uh, lead me to Russell Investments. And they were looking for someone in their alternatives team, alternative research team. And it was actually there at Russell, I met Sam Cecilia, because he was on the consulting side, but we were literally just desks apart. Obviously, you know, GFC unfolded. Russell cut the workforce by 20%. It was kind of like last in, first out. So I stayed in, in touch with Sam. He obviously left to join Host Plus. I left to join um, Jhana Investment Advisors, which is a firm that advises a number of industry super funds. But I never quite felt like consulting was my thing. I learnt a lot there, but I just it was never quite a, a fit for me. And then obviously, given that Sam knew me and that Host was that client of Jana's, I would get called into various things uh, to do with private equity or venture. With host and then that obviously led to a a role at host plus and and from there then i could really sort of begin to but even when i joined host plus i wasn't thinking necessarily about venture capital it was actually something again that just sort of occurred because i was looking at the characteristics of the fund and thinking well it's getting bigger where do we find new opportunities to invest and i was also very conscious that things like private equity they were liquid investments, had long investment lives um, with back-end payoff structures. And that sort of really got me thinking about, well, actually, that was a really good fit with uh, the, the host plus characteristics of the fund in terms of young member demographic, long investment horizons, really strong cash inflows, all of the key ingredients you need to make long-term venture investment. And so that's kind of how it all
2: came about really yeah it sounds like anything but a linear pathway but following threads like you said just following those kind of thin threads the whole way to curiosity and I really like that in terms of um I feel like your grandparents well if you do have the pleasure of knowing them they do have such a big impact on your life as well right they sometimes are more um, more present than your own parents in some respects I guess so what would you say the most pleasurable part of your work is? At the moment. So, you're an executive director at Breakthrough. You're heading up which team is it again? Well, you're just trying to get them sort of similar to what you did at Host Plus, it feels like.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always looking for the sort of next adventure. That's right. Yeah, I've recently joined Breakthrough Victoria. It's a $2 billion initiative of the state government to invest in innovative startups that have a level of positive impact to Victoria. And that's on a number of measures. And so, yes, I've joined the executive team and I, I head up all of the venture capital activities. But it's quite a broad ranging role, covering a lot of areas and we break through, uh, are still very much a startup ourselves. We've made 14 investments to date and it's really, the first investment was only made about um, April, May last year. So we've still got a lot of processes that we've really still got to yet to fully refine and, and bed down. and. Even the team as well, trying to find the, the right mix of people. And you know, we've got a very diverse team, a lot of different backgrounds. So I think that we've got a lot of ingredients, but it just takes time because everyone's got so such different experiences of how do you bring it all together as a team so that you become a cohesive team and you're all moving in the right direction. So it's, it's both a, a positive and but also a negative at times.
2: So would you say you're sort of embracing the chaos a bit? Do you you like that?
3: (laughs) So the pleasure, absolutely. Getting back to your question, the the, the reasonable aspects. So look, I think it's important. Every job has got its challenging aspects or its boring aspects. But I think what really excites me about Venture is speaking to really interesting founders and teams and the technology as well that they're working on this there's some really exciting technologies out there and you can just see the sort of, I think what really excites me the most is the, is the possibilities that you can see. And I think, again, this sort of comes back to having one needs to have a little level of sort of creativity and imagination to see the world not as it is, but what it could be And with some of these companies and technologies of, like, they might be solving a particular problem now, but all of the adjacent sort of avenues and areas that core piece of technology could be deployed in that could help people improve their lives and and just have that broader, I guess, that broader impact of making a difference in the world.
2: And would you say that motivates you?
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do you kind of, like, love living through vicariously through founders? Do you find that you you do that?
3: Yeah, I mean, a few people have, particularly last year, sort of characterised me and said, well, now you're an entrepreneur and I'm not sure that I really fit that mould. I think, I guess, because of my formative sort of early childhood years, it's funny to say, but I feel like I'm too risk-averse to be an entrepreneur that can put everything on the line.
2: So living by them is probably, it's a better way.
3: Yeah, I think all of us have to ask the question, well, where's our, where's our best place where we can add the greatest value?
2: You mentioned it briefly when you were talking about the best parts of your role. What are the most challenging parts? Could you tell us a little bit about those?
3: Yeah, we've got quite a large team. We've got about 15 people in our investment team. And then we have another five sector experts. Overall, the organization's about 50 people. And so when you're sort of sitting at an executive level, I think that the most challenging aspect is is being able to get to understand everyone's skill sets and how you can best leverage that. So we're acting as one team, and we're, you know, we're all kicking in the one one direction. That's a constant challenge. I think you want to have fair enough space so that the diversity that you have in your team, people feel safe to put up, propose new ideas, and to explore it. But at the end of the day, we've still got to make investments. You've got to be hard-nosed about those investments because at the end of the day, they've, they've got to be commercial. It's quite a challenge, yeah, finding that right line. I feel like you're constantly either overshooting or undershooting. There is very difficult to get it exactly right.
2: In terms of balancing getting everyone's views and making investment decisions right, getting everyone to the outcome. Yeah, I bet it would be. But, I mean, I guess, like you said, it, it sounds like you have the ingredients because different perspectives are great, but maybe the size and the way it's been kind of mashed together needs, sounds like it needs a bit of work.
3: <laughs> well, this this is right. I mean, it's a very unique sort of situation where, I mean, any sort of other startup, starts very small, you know, there's maybe a couple of founders, they have a very, they're targeting a very specific niche. And then as they find success, they progressively build out, whereas Breakthrough you know, has, has had this really broad mandate from day one and then the challenge to then make these investments with well, actually very little, if no time, to really plan and think about processes and, and actually doing it.
2: Yeah, and a lot of money to deploy in such a short period of time, right? <laughs> well, relatively. I mean... I would imagine there'd be plenty of founders out there saying, "Well, you know, I'll, have, I'll take a slice of that two billion. Thank you."
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right, and that involves a lot of discipline.
2: Yeah, it would be very easy to kind of spray and pray, wouldn't it? It would be so easy to do that in this scenario, but not thoughtful and would definitely lead down the wrong path for sure. On that note, what do you look for when you're making investments, particularly in venture?
3: Well, more broadly, really, ideally, is being able to. So, so look, I'm again invent engineering background I love the technology that's my approach I'm very much a bottom-up person get in there understand the technology understand the business model understand the founders and I think through that whole process you really get to grips with the key risks then you get a, a really good sort of intuitive sense of well can I live with this risk can I mitigate it what else can I do if I can't well then I've got to move on ideally out of all of that, I think ideally for me is being able to identify those sort of points of inflection in that venture opportunity where by being able to see through all the noise, be able to identify those opportunities, identify potential sort of moats and downside risk as well. I think that's where having a technical understanding helps because you can see things earlier that maybe more than say a, a strictly sort of financial person might see it, where they're they're looking for the financial figures. Whereas, as I say, if you dig lower, you can you can get that early qualitative aspects that give you those early signs. When I can see those things, that really gives me confidence.
2: Yeah, great. So, if there was a Rolodex that had Neil Stanford, what would it say about you? So that the only the founders that that would perfect fit, make contact? I
3: think someone who is trying to make a difference, someone that can see beyond the immediate, someone that can bring a a longer term or strategic mindset and someone that is collaborative and understands that sometimes you need a few laps as a founder to really land on, the sweet spot of, or, or really identify the application for what your technology is about. And you need people, you need investors who are willing to have those conversations and not have that really transactional 15 minutes. And if you don't answer all the questions, you're gone, and that's it, never to have a conversation again. You know, the Australian ecosystem is too small for that. And I think for founders, there's not enough investors for them to learn. You know, they can only learn by speaking to investors, but there's there's not a whole, it's not like the US where there's there's a heap of investors so that if you get your, your pitch wrong, you know, there's always another one you can speak to. We, we just don't have that luxury. And so I think as investors, we've got to be more collaborative and more willing to work with founders to actually help them identify the key elements of, of their deal as well.
2: Yeah, I really I really like that. I think that's certainly one thing that we we have plenty of things in common, but that's certainly one. I think there's this expectation sometimes of founders doing the perfect pitch. And I find almost the ones that are great picture like the great at pitching or presenting, you know, once you scratch the surface a little with um, not sure how many times they've really gone around and thought about exactly what their problem is and and deeply considered the multiple avenues and and gone down a million different rubber holes to sort of land where they where they need to now and see the opportunity very uniquely versus any of us cuz they're in it every single day so i feel like this kind of curiosity that you you had ever since you were a child and the environments that you've sort of been that you've been exposed to would lead you to a and, and you've sort of touched on that in terms of your value set we always say to we highly recommend to founders to find values aligned investors, especially, particularly at the early stage, because as you rightly point out, it's not about the numbers, but a lot of the time there aren't any. (laughs) So um, what would you say your values are? Could you share them with us?
3: Well, I absolutely agree. Getting alignment between investors and founders on values is absolutely critical. And I think it's critical because it's just inevitable that there will be challenges somewhere along the line. And as much as we get so so focused on technology and, and all the finances and in the day it's a people business. It's, it's all about relationships and partnerships. And the foundation of that is values. So I think having that common set of values is, is critical. That's why I spend actually a lot of time just understanding, founders and their dna and where they've come from and why they decided to do this and not something else and if there's a number of founders how they all came together and how they how they all work and how do they not fight amongst themselves you can't have four founders all exactly the same trying to do the same thing there's got to be a realization as any team formation requires people you know there's going to be Got to be a bit of um, give and take, and a bit of compromise in terms of what is everyone going to focus on. People are are better at certain things than other things. I think if I can use an analogy, probably goes back to sailing again, really too. You know, I've done a bit of ocean sailing racing as well, and you look at some of the races, like the Sydney to Hobart race, and you've got some really competitive people entering yachts and assembling crews and, and teams. And they're battling it out in Bass Strait with some pretty horrendous conditions at times.
2: Have you done that run?
3: I have not done the Sydney to Hobart. I'm no, no. yeah. <laughs> I've done Melbourne to Launceston a couple of times, Devonport, but no, the Sydney to Hobart that was that's kind of another category up. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not that crazy.
2: <laughs> well, Melbourne to Hobart, and Devonport sounds pretty intense. <laughs>
3: But, you know, when you're a skipper as well, you're constantly, you know, pushing the boundaries. But at the same time, you're also responsible for your crew as well. And I think it's very similar with a founder as well. You're trying to bash through these these barriers. But at the same time as an investor, you want to make sure that that founder is also willing to listen and, and be coachable and take on board comments from people Because when it comes to sailing and ocean racing, like it's real sort of life and death stuff. And and, we've seen situations where we've got skippers who are just bashing on completely, almost oblivious to what's going on around them until it's kind of too late. You know, they're having to abandon ship and and whatnot. And that's why I always think about plan B. And you do not want to be getting into a life raft out in the ocean unless you absolutely have to.
2: It's a great analogy. I feel like it's touching on so many of my questions in terms of what it takes to be a really good founder as well as an investor and exactly to your point about collaboration because sometimes the investor needs to jump on board, right? <laughs> and if I'm running with your analogy here and you know, like you said, collaborate and help get the skipper to see that it's not just about them and that the ship's falling apart and, and we don't want to abandon it and, and, and sort of help get them there. So if that's kind of where you're going in terms of being there for the long haul. Yeah, it is. And um, being approachable to be able to, the skipper, but equally can discern what, what are their kind of crew saying and, and what parts will they take on board and versus not or, or test, if you like.
3: And who to listen to, who to take advice from and who not to listen. I think that's a real skill as well because it's funny, you know, whenever you're trying to do something different and, and I remember I was – renovating our house many years ago I was doing it as an owner builder you know our next door neighbor completely unsolicited advice was going oh well you know if you've never done it before you shouldn't do it and it's like sorry I'm an engineer I think I know enough yes there's elements that I've never done before but I know enough I can figure it out
2: it's called YouTube Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, especially in this day and age, like it's not like you need to go down to the library and have a read of a book or, or go and ask someone. You can figure it out for yourself for the most part. You can become anything you want to be. I was listening to um, a diary of a CEO and there was, it's a quite a common theme across a lot of the entrepreneurs, right? That I don't necessarily subscribe to what you, you can only become what you say or whatever that saying is. I don't even have it right. But I just think that's nonsense. Of course you can build a building. You're an engineer. I mean, you probably could build a building better than most of the builders out there. <laughs> I mean, you at least understand structures.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think it's just the sort of values you one is kind of looking for or or my values is that, is that collaborative, give and take, push through, but also be willing to take advice. And I think sometimes it takes, there's no clear answer to many things. And sometimes you've just got to let things sit with you for a while, not make a judgment, kind of reserve that judgment. And sometimes, quite often, things will come to you where there's no clear answer. You'll be brushing your teeth one morning and it's like, oh, well, actually, I should do such and such. If you're too gung-ho and you're jumping off running here, there and everywhere, sometimes you just don't have... Now, that's of course, that's easy to say, Some you know, in under terms of pressure, you've got to be able to respond quickly as well. And sailing's like that. You have these long periods where there's not much happening and then suddenly there's sort of these really short bursts of time where changing sails, getting spinnakers in, and it's chaos and you're just trying to work as hard as you can.
2: I feel like there's something about water and clarity. <laughs> you know, Whether it's in the bathroom or out in nature for a walk or on the sea or in the ocean, like it just... Somehow produces clarity. <laughs> That's going to have to be the heading of this podcast for sure. <laughs> We're bringing it in. It's a great thread of analogy throughout it. Look, Neil, I'd say you've done a few deals in your time. <laughs> and we know we don't like to have favorites, but I'm going to ask you, like, what are some of the best deals that you've worked on? And what are your, some of your favorite kind of startups or scale ups? Oh,
3: look, every deal is different. I think about the deals and it's like, there's not really that much commonality amongst them, really. They've all got their own idiosyncrasies. I think the ones that gave me the most excitement, probably I've got a few sort of on lists, list, but probably the one or the two that would I found sort of the most exciting was actually in fusion energy. So when I was at Host Plus, we made a couple of investments in fusion energy. One was um, into Commonwealth fusion systems in Boston where you know, they're building a fusion reactor. It's a nuclear reaction, but it's it's using fusion energy as opposed to fission energy, which is the current nuclear reactors. And it's a really challenging issue because you, you're trying to contain this plasma at millions of degrees and then it's all the process of well, how do you hold that plasma long enough so that you extract more energy out than what you put in And I think forward in terms of climate change. There's an awful lot we can do in terms of renewable energy. But I think for mankind to have the next leap forward, whatever you think about, there's still a huge need for energy. And fusion energy really, for me, is the most exciting area. In fact, we actually made another one, another fusion energy investment in a UK company And it was funny, actually, the two companies are using completely different approaches. And working on the two deals, you could actually, once you sort of really understood the technology, you could see that they were really complementary. And there was actually a place for both of them. And so both of those companies have made some really exciting leap forwards. But the one in Boston, Cornwall Fusion Systems, I really took my hat off to the founder there, Bob Mungard, because they had originally designed these superconducting magnets in a insulating form. But as they were progressing and you know, they were massive, these are huge magnets. Like they'll take up huge, you know, it's almost like a basketball court size area. And they were getting really close to actually manufacturing these magnets. And they ended up actually realising there were sort of two thought schools of thought. One was around insulating magnets. The other one was non-insulating magnets. And I take my hat off to Bob because, you know, they've, they've got all these massive risks that he's trying to manage. And he actually set up the, the company, two teams, one to do insulating magnets, one to do the non-insulating magnets. And he almost sort of set them up, and this was right in the middle of everything, on the fly basically, to compete to then decide which one the way they're going to take forward. And so it momentarily slowed them down because they split the workforce and, and all of that. But it meant that they answered a critical question at that point that they were everything after that depended on what design they they chose at that point. And they ended up going non-insulating magnets. And it all comes back to the non. It's, so when things in that superconducting state, it's quite unintuitive. You actually don't need to insulate the electrical cabling from the magnet laminations itself, which in normal room temperature is madness because the thing would short circuit. But when you're under superconducting temperatures, it's kind of a different way of thinking. And that's a very long-winded way, but it was just bringing again that creative element to solve a problem there and then at that critical junction and by facing the risk head on they actually de-risk the rest of the project.
2: Awesome I mean a lot of that I was like went well over my head but um, (laughs) yeah I think the premise we certainly understand we spoke about this before we started recording, but um, everyone in their life has had some setbacks. So could you tell us, a, share a story about maybe one of yours or some of yours?
3: And look, I think the, probably the most recent setback was what I was trying to do last year in terms of raising the Victorian Startup Capital Fund. The day after we launched that fund, Russia attacked Ukraine and just talk about the challenges of trying kind to of find some clear space just the noise factor, it was that. And then there was a federal election, and then it was issues around inflation and interest rates, and then even a the state election as well. And I think sometimes you've just got to recognise that. And we got to about September last year, and we just, this is uh, Bridget, my colleague, Bridget Pappen. She and I both looked at each other and went, you know, one day, like, what are we doing here? And I think it is a very interesting thing. We don't talk about failure enough. And I think also, too, knowing when, when to fall at quits. There's a point where, and again, it comes back to the sailing analogy. You've got to know when to abandon the race and live to fight another day, basically. And I think we have sort of almost a lot of stigma around failure, Because all of the great stories are about founders that forged ahead and and ultimately won, but there's a whole, for every founder that succeeded, there's probably, you know, 99 who failed. There's that point where things flip from being a positive in terms of challenging oneself because you never know how far you can go until you actually try. But there is a point where it comes where that sort of flips into the stupidity yourself. sector where to continue is actually detrimental. Detrimental to yourself, to those around you, and you've got to recognise that.
2: So how did you navigate that? Like how, I mean, you and Bridget were like, this is cooked,
3: you've got to call it. You do, and it's hard and it's painful and it's like ripping a Band-Aid off, but the sooner you do it, the better.
2: I agree. I think we need to talk about, that's one part of the American culture I particularly like <laughs> when it comes to in fact, it's a, it's almost embraced, isn't it? It's it's sort of, if you haven't got any kind of scars and sort of setbacks, then then they're almost dubious of you because <laughs> everyone has in some respect, right? Sure. I mean, it doesn't have to be directly related to what you're doing right now, but but in some respect, I think there's a certain amount of resilience and grit that's presented in both, in both those scenarios where you've succeeded, but equally had a setback and and incredible learning no, no doubt takes place at that point
3: exactly I was just going to say that a lot of learnings if we hadn't tried there's a whole bunch of things that we learned in that process that we both of us have been able to leverage you know Bridget's gone on and you know she's now the the head of private venture at um, ngS super there's no way she could have done that before if she hadn't and I guess like my myself as well, you know, there's been a lot of learnings that I've been able to take with me.
2: What's your biggest one, do you think? What's one that you'd call out above others?
3: Well, I think <laughs> there's a lot that I still feel like I've, I've still got kind of in the tool bag that I we haven't yet got to the point at, in breakthrough to actually be able to pull them out yet.
2: Oh, lovely. Sounds like a bag, a Mary Poppins bag, is awaiting breakthrough. They're so lucky. <laughs> Can't wait yeah i think that's it you know watch this i love that well um people gonna have to follow your journey now it's awesome i would imagine that you're fairly well read and not sure if you listen to loads of podcasts or not but what would be your kind of top favorite books or podcasts or any content that you're consuming that you recommend everyone should be consuming
3: I feel like this is a very sort of celebrity type question. Everyone's got the sort of the latest hot list of what they're reading. I should clarify, I'm quite a contrarian, actually. I tend to sort of almost do the complete opposite. But actually, the book that I am reading at the moment is by James Dyson. I found that really interesting because a lot of the those early years of Dyson were actually in the UK, Early 80s, so I could actually identify with a lot of the things, but it was his approach actually to he's very much that sort of designer, he's got that designer background, but it was really the drive to want to create something better and improve. And I can really sort of see myself in that, and I find that really interesting. Where I was going with that, in terms, I really identify with James Dyson because he, in his book, he was saying actually he finds his best way of learning is by doing is by experimenting, and I can see so much of that myself, actually. I, I learn best by doing and sort of experimenting and coming coming up with my own approach rather than necessarily reading a bunch of books. So I think that has, that helped me enormously at Host Plus when I was designing the, the venture program because it was really, you know, that just that fundamental design process of actually almost you're just designing it from the ground up than necessarily taking a cookie cookie cutter approach that I might have seen somewhere else or read about and applying it. I think that might get you quick wins. but I think when you're a long-term investor and it comes back to values as well, the investment's got to be rooted in sort of bedrock. As if if it's going to weather the storms, it's really got to have this really strong base.
2: Just before we finish though, I'd love to know, what are you excited and optimistic about?
3: So a big part of why I joined Breakthrough was that I saw that Breakthrough, it has a higher purpose. And I think ultimately, as much as we all want to make money, what do we really want to get out of life? What are we really here for? And I think for me, I'm very much driven by that higher purpose. Sure, you know, I want to get at- adequately rewarded for what I do and the effort I put in, but it's that higher purpose in terms of are there things that we can do that can really have a benefit to people's lives? Yeah. So things in health and life science that can really help people. The same with clean energy. And we live in a world where we don't have to burn stuff. We don't have to burn coal oil and gas? Can we generate it in other ways? So I think it's it's the exciting possibilities like and I think a lot of the challenges that we face in the world, they're such big problems. They're too big for any any one entity to solve, you know, too big for governments alone. And so I think the real question going forward for us as a society is, well, how do we bring everyone together in a more collaborative manner? How can we bring public capital together? private capital and work with founders who are tackling these big problems and can we accelerate some of these things? And In fact, we're working on a, an investment to actually address the recycling of solar panels because it's a huge looming problem in terms of end of solar panel life. So there's breakages in terms of when they get installed, but these panels have got a lifespan of 15 to sort of 20, 25 years And you think, well, a big ramp up in solar, rooftop solar in Australia, but also Victoria, that all happened, sort of started 15 years ago. So we've got this massive looming waste issue coming. And yet these panels have got a lot of very valuable resources that we need and we can't afford to waste them. So is there anything, can Breakthrough do anything to help support and accelerate the expansion of that recycling industry around solar panels and there's some challenges there about trying to extract the silver from the silicon and, and stuff what can we do how can we lead in and, and help and accelerate that um, faster than it would otherwise occur
2: fascinating you're literally on the cusp of a, a kind of another wave of investing and, and solutions for victoria and australia which is super exciting We want to thank you so much for your time neil and all you do for scale and and all the support you provide for us as well it's a real pleasure and yeah just look forward to working with you more and getting to know you more and thanks so much for sharing with the audience today a little bit more about yourself your background and and how you think about investing i'm sure it would be really valuable i've really enjoyed chatting with you today yeah, thanks so much we hoped you
0: loved today's conversation as much as we did as an investment venture firm founded by women no one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive like we do we believe that education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap that's why we created scale educated an education platform with online courses for both investors and founders you can find them on our website and if you're keen to invest and maximise your returns into Australia's best women led startups, we have the perfect product for you the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realise a significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing us at ceoscaleinvestors.com.au at and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss a minute.